Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige film. Today, we're talking about a movie that is celebrating its 75th anniversary this week. It's The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, 1948's Western adventure film. Uh, it was it's, it was made, directed, and screen wrote by the legendary John Huston. Uh, I guess he's not even the patriarch of the Houston family because his dad, Walter Houston, is one of the stars. Houston family, no stopping him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's based on The Treasure of the Sierra Madre by one B. Traven and and maybe or it might be Traven, um, and I have some stories to tell about this gentleman. Oh, boy. Um, as mentioned, it stars uh, Bogey himself, Humphrey Bogart. You might have seen him in The Maltese Falcon, oh. uh, African Queen. Nope. Or Casablanca. Nope. <laughs> if you were born in the last century. Nope. Um, <laughs> as I mentioned, it, uh, it stars Walter Houston, uh, John Houston's father, who won an Oscar for his performance as the old coot prospector in this movie also stars tim holt who kind of is only famous for this movie according to wikipedia and bruce bennett who was one of the silver screen's very first tarzans he also was a silver medalist and shot putt in the 1928 olympic games uh it's turning 75 this is the 75 this year uh this is a revered movie it has i think a hundred percent on rotten tomatoes uh, four stars in the great movies Roger Ebert archive uh, one many it was is widely acclaimed in its day and is kind of known as the best Humphrey Bogart performance if you're going to go to see one I guess see Sierra the, the treasure of Sierra Madre hmm. I, I don't think you've seen this film uh, what did you think of it Jim I've actually never seen a single Humphrey Bogart movie I've never seen him perform so this was entirely new to me. I, I really liked it, but I get the impression that I still haven't seen the Humphrey Bogart that everybody thinks of when they think of Humphrey Bogart. Am I wrong in that? I get the impression this is very different from anything he had done before. The first half of this movie is pretty classic bogey. Okay. Like he plays, okay. he almost always plays a complete bastard. It's just that wow. usually right. he has a heart of gold. And in this movie, his mm-hmm. heart is consumed with gold. Gotcha. Um, okay. So well, I guess I've he, seen all I need to see of Humphrey Bogart. Did you see that quote where, because uh, this was getting the gang back together. Um, John Huston had just come back from the war. He was a, war, a wartime documentary film. Uh, he did the Maltese Falcon with Bogey, then was sucked up in the World War II. He came back. Humphrey Bogart was now a big enough star that he could bankroll and essentially do whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. And they're like, let's get the gang back together and and and, and make this film. And uh, there's a famous quote from Humphrey Bogart where he was going outside and he saw a film critic that was, I don't know, maybe talking shit about him. And he says, hey, wait till you see my next film. I'm just a total piece of shit. It's like never used something you've ever seen before. And he was talking about this role uh, in the Treasure of the Sierra Madres. Yeah, I, I think like I said, it's it's um, essentially 
bogey, but he subverts his kind of more heroic nature uh, to just play a complete shit in this movie. Okay. Yeah, I mean, as someone who had not seen him before, uh, I was very impressed. I, I was far more impressed in the Academy, apparently, because they did not bother to even nominate him for an award this year. Um, I, I don't know if that's fair or not. I, I mean, the movie itself was nominated and won at least three awards. It, mm-hmm. it was nominated for four. It, 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 John Huston's dad won, like you said. So uh, I, I'm kind of surprised by that, but I don't know. I, I really liked his performance in this. It's It's very... This movie is in a lot of other movies, obviously. Uh, people yes. who have seen it already know that. I'm just discovering that for the first time, and I'm like, oh, there's mm-hmm. that bit of this other thing that I love and this other bit of something I've seen in five other movies. Uh, it, and I was very... I guess I was surprised by that because I, I don't even think about this movie. That's the thing. It's like when we got to the you know very famous stinking badges scene... Yep. I had lived my whole life assuming that that originated in Blazing Saddles <laughs> uh-huh. and that all of the references like in UHF and all the times I'd seen it in Looney Tunes stuff were mm-hmm. like basing that on that. And no, no, this is the and I guess the novel, The Treasure of Sierra Madre is where it sure. originally got started because that it's almost verbatim. Well, um, they toned it way down. Thanks, thanks to, to Hayes, they had to tone it way, way down. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm talking about this particular line about the we don't need uh, we don't need oh. to show no because st- that's the thing is everyone says we don't need no stinking badges. Yeah, and everybody says Luke, I'm your father too. So and everybody says play yeah. it again, Sam and Casablanca, even though that's not <laughs> the right line. But it's what we all have Berenstain bears ourselves into believing. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, what you just said that phenomenon is one of my favorite reasons to watch like really classic old movies. Like yeah. if you think this is a trip. Casablanca every five minutes is like <laughs> pop culture punching you in the face. Nice. Um, like the, there's like the three. It's like I, I cannot believe how much of that movie has been quoted and repackaged and memed until it's just like it's it's everyday idioms. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, I and and that's what's I think it's like it's a form of kind of like film archaeology that like you Uh dig down and like look at this classic era of Hollywood where like Humphrey Bogart was essentially the Harrison Ford of his day just mega famous he belongs uh, yeah huge huge you know like like uh it it just 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 like his profile was huge you had huge movies you had the Houston's it's this big like powerful dynasty all these different studio like there's this you know whole pulp pulp culture that is built you know our our pop culture is built on the top of and yet we barely ever scratch the surface and it's so much fun to kind of go and see these like details and how just like today you know you got Scorsese you know his muse is like uh, uh, De Niro Yep. You know, Houston had Bogart like they it, it, it everything that we see today was done in old Hollywood. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe some things we wish would go away still haven't. But yeah, I, I just think that that's it's so much fun to see the like the stinking badges and just how like I've never seen a Republic serial. You know, you always hear about Indiana Jones being a Republic serial. But but I feel like I've seen one after this because like all the archetypes like. All three of these men are essentially Indiana Jones at different phases of his life. Okay. I can't wait until Indiana Jones 
dances a jig after finding gold. That's my favorite <laughs> Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones six, baby, or five, or or just has himself a good old laugh when the Nazis finally get one over on him. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I was like, I because some of these films are a little bit stilted, and you have to adjust to like the acting and you know the editing. Um, I feel like Jack Houston stuff, or I'm sorry, John Houston stuff feels pretty fresh um yeah their line reads are a lot faster than they would be now it's like the actors feel like they're kind of rushing their way through a lot of their soliloquies and stuff um especially walter houston boy he is talking a mile a minute in this movie and uh eber mentioned that was he thought that was an effect like that he was like he was trying to do his lines as if he's a man that has so much to tell mm-hmm. and very little time to tell it and he's just constantly imparting this wisdom but i just not i just feel like he he needed to take a breath. Um, oh, I really liked it. He's he's my favorite part yeah? of this movie. Without a oh, doubt. for sure, yeah, for sure. I'm just saying, if you made this today, there would be that there would be a little different cadence to some of this dialogue. Probably. Um, I'm kind, I'm kind of shocked that no one that this hasn't been remade. Um, because you said as you said, the novel is a lot spicier. You could do, and then I guess <laughs> John uh, John Huston's original script and the way they shot it had a little a lot more grisly violence like there is a, a, a beheading yeah um that all takes place like uh off screen now um but yeah I, I and and the the black and white like sometimes that's a barrier but like honestly i thought the black and white looked fucking gorgeous like i yeah, couldn't believe the contrast that they got and this we by the way this is streaming free if you remember i guess if you're paying 15 bucks a month to hbo it's on hbo max and the print that they use is pristine Mm-hmm. is gorgeous yeah there's like one close-up of uh C- cody what's his name uh that looks real grainy and real bad but you can tell mm. that was the only thing they couldn't restore yeah uh this was one of the first hollywood films apparently that was shot on location they actually went mm-hmm. to the mexican state of durango they shot um, on location outside of the u.s yeah outside of the u.s you're correct correct uh they shot in uh, tampico mexico there's a whole legend about them getting thrown out because they didn't bribe the right guy <laughs> got back in that guy got murdered two weeks later i mean there is some some gangster shit going on in the making of this film and as a plus for filming outside the united states like um you know a lot of westerns at the time when they were filming indigenous people or mexican people they would just be italians uh, or mm-hmm. other other white guys with wood bronzer on. Uh, they actually had authentic in, uh, indigenous and uh, uh, Mexican cast. Uh, some that went on to the the, the the fame and fortune in Mexico's film uh, hmm. fi- fi- film industry at the time. Um, the only kind of sour note is there is like uh, th- there's there's a lot of um, I wouldn't say hateful racism, but like casual dumb white guy racism towards indigenous peoples. Um, there's yeah. one there's there's one scene in the film that Roger said you know Ebert said that it 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 belongs in a lesser film it's it's the one where uh, mm-hmm. uh John Houston's dad is kind of lounging after he became the doc the, the the medicine man for the people right right um it's that's not a egregious. little I've seen way worse in even yes I say movies, it's... but it's it's definitely there. Yeah, it's not like John Wayne and his searchers where you're like, Jesus fucking Christ, this is just guy hates Native Americans. Um, it's just it's just tone deaf and cringy. Um, but, you know, I just want to let people know uh, we actually have a um, 
I'm aware that we have a lot of native fans and they are constantly recommending stuff like, you know, res dogs and stuff. So I just want to know. Just want you to know Mm -hmm. Uh, there's especially towards uh, native women. There's a couple of terms that were would not not pass muster today. Um, Otherwise, this is a great it's we've been talking about as if it's an adventure film. But it's really like a moral parable. Uh huh. A morality yeah, this is, play. This is a story about how greed can twist people up. Damn near Shakespearean. Yeah. Uh, and I think Bogart really leans into that in the second half of this film. Uh, yeah, I I wholeheartedly recommend this film. Um, the other thing that I thought was that might take people out of it is the score. Um, uh, like, no, they played... Little, like cheesy, but not much. Yeah, because I... <laughs> It's just funny because they like when they first open the sluice gates, mm-hmm. they play it like it's some I don't know, like some highly high stakes, dangerous operation. And the music is almost identical during a cave in that almost kills Humphrey Bogart. It's just <laughs> oh, like, yeah, it's just like this, this guy's got a score and he's going to play it, whether mm-hmm. it fits to the emotional beat at the time or not. But uh, there was only one place I noticed a weird score cue that was that was trying to do too much work. It was trying to give you the emotion that Humphrey Bogart was feeling without actually showing him giving it. Um, yeah. And it was after, I want to say it was like right before he kills the dude. Hmm. I noticed a couple where it's like it was a little lighthearted and capery when it was kind of serious and it was very serious yeah. and bombastic when it's kind of mundane, you know, and the guys are just uh, kind of working. Yeah. Uh, but it's Max Steiner uh, it's called the father of film music. I'm talking shit about. Uh, Never heard of him. Yeah. Well, he <laughs> no, did. Speaking of searchers, he did searchers, scholar. Casablanca, Gone with the Wind. All right. Um, good career. Man, and it's just like the the on location stuff really pays off too. Because when those guys mm-hmm. are trekking up in the mountains, by God, you can tell it. Yeah, uh, it looks rugged and arid and dusty and dirty and dangerous. I found out that this is also the performance, which it's crazy. The Academy didn't appreciate this, but apparently Daniel Day Lewis did because he based a lot of his Daniel Plainview character in There Will Be Blood on Humphrey Bogart in this movie. I saw that. That makes a lot of sense now that it I've makes a it. hell of a lot of sense the, the movies are very similar in their themes for sure in fact you could almost say that this film is the version where or like like the world what there will be blood is the version where humphrey bogart got out of the canyon alive with his first halt with his first strike uh-huh. at rich yeah. he didn't break his back in the mine he was able to get out and you know because it's it's such a great evolution. And what's interesting is, well, God, I don't want to get to I don't want to lay the whole plot out. It's an old movie. It's celebrating the 75th anniversary, for God's sakes. <laughs> um, should do we have more non-spoiler things to talk about or should we just get right right into it? I think we should get into it. We'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, back with more Bald Move. Uh, so, this movie is set in the 1920s. Uh, Humphrey Bogart is a down-on-his-luck American uh, who's in Tampico. Somehow, I don't know why, he's in Tampico, Mexico, and he doesn't have enough money to get out. Um, he's barred from protectionist labor policy, from even shining shoes. So, he essentially waits for work to come and begs other Americans uh, for cash where he can. Uh, he unexpectedly gets a paying gig and wins a lottery ticket and meets um, uh, two men at a hostel that give him an idea to take this small seed and stake themselves into a three-man mining operation and go way out into the wilds of Durango to find their fortune, to try to strike it rich with gold. Um, and they all start off equal partners, equal stakes. Uh, but the old, the old experienced prospector says, just wait until you see what gold can do to the souls of men. And by God, he was, he was right on the money. Um, I was very tickled. I wonder if did, I wonder if we uncovered that in our, uh, there will be blood podcast. The fact that th- this was kind of based on the Humphrey Bogart character, because Maybe. when I read that, it made so much sense yeah. that this, and this film kind of was the blueprint for a lot of the themes and sensibilities of there will be blood. Yeah. Makes sense. I, I don't know that we need to remake it because we have already remade it just mm. with oil instead of gold. Um, and you know, slightly, slightly continued story. Let's say. Did you know that? Do you know who Robert Blake is? Sounds very familiar, but no. He's a, a famous kind of like '60s and '70s film and TV star. He was really famous for the cop show Beretta, and he's also no. famous for probably killing his wife and getting off on the criminal trial, but getting uh, screwed to the wall in the civil trial. He was also apparently a famous child actor and he plays the little boy. I think he's the only uh, brown face role in the whole movie. He plays the little boy that sells uh, okay. Humphrey Bogart the, the lottery ticket. I was thinking that that doesn't. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uncredited. Like he was doing little little rascals late late stage little rascal stuff. And then they 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 pegged him for this one. All right. Uh. I man, I I want to talk about the film. Maybe we should talk about the film because I really, really want to talk about this Beach Raven stuff. Um, okay. I thought this was interesting because when the film opens, I'm looking at Humphrey and he's being like, you know, he's kind of like, you know, is his hard bitten wise ass like he he always is. Uh, and as the film is project, I was thinking that Humphrey Bogart was going to probably be the good guy. Like the mm-hmm. other guy, like they're all three swearing that, oh, I'm the most trustworthy this. Well, I'm the one that's like, I thought he was going to be the guy who, you know, because he's the big star. Mm-hmm. And it was uncommon for like big stars to play this big of a heel role. And as it became clear that, no, he was the one that was going to turn into a paranoid lunatic. I became fascinated. And some of the work he did after he shot uh, Cody mm-hmm. is like... Edgar Allan Poe, Telltale Heart. It's like something out of Hamlet. It is just him turning himself out uh, inside out with his own conscious and the greed fueling um, him trying to ignore the effects that that's having on his, on his life. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I like that scene where he lays down to try and sleep the night after he's killed him. And, you know, he, ta- he talks about the conscience. Well, if you don't believe you have a conscience, it can't bother you, right? And then the fire rages in front of him to, as if to say, good luck, buddy. Yeah, like it's the literal, it turns in, that campfire turns into literal flames of hell. Yeah. That was a, that was a hell of a shot. There are two really amazing shots in this movie uh, that I feel like are ahead of their time. Um, mm-hmm. It's that shot and it's the shot where they're both trying to stay awake because they, because uh, Humphrey Curtin, Bogart will, Curtin yeah. knows that, yeah, that uh, Dobbs is going to kill him if he falls asleep. And I guess Curtin is hoping he can get Dobbs to town before he falls asleep, which is insane because given how far they still have to go, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, there's a shot where he actually falls asleep and the camera is positioned behind his head. So as he falls asleep and his head drops, you see Dobbs there staring at him uh, yeah. with murder in his eyes, right? It's yeah. such a good shot. Yeah, that... Um, I don't know why... I don't know why Curtin didn't tie him up like he suggested it's almost like he had to prove to him that i'm look look dude i'm not trying to screw you over but the second the guy pulls a gun on me i feel like yeah you, he's gone crazy maybe you don't yeah. screw him over when he gets to town and you you divide everything up by threes and then you take his gun and you get the first on the first steamboat out but no you killed the dude should have tied you, you, get, you, you killed you kill the guy you're not gonna be able to tie him up like he's gonna fight you hmm like, what are you gonna do? Put your gun down? Ask him to tie himself up? Like, it, uh, th- that's the thing to me. Like, there's a scene where they talk about how, oh, the federales got it right. They find the criminals, they convict them, and they put them, they have them dig their own graves and put them in the hole and bury them that day. Right. And I'm thinking, what is it that possesses a person to dig their own grave knowingly? Why would anyone ever do that? I've often thought that too, because I'd be like, fuck you. What are you gonna yeah. do? Kill me? Do? And, but I right? guess. Yeah. I guess they make it more painful. Like that's the first. It's like maybe if you if you if if there's no way to get out of this situation, mm-hmm. and it's like dig a hole and then get a clean shot, or then 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 just do they beat you to fucking death. But I don't know. I still might be like fuck you, beat me to death. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. In the moment, who can say? But like it, at least put up a little bit of resistance. Say no first before you just go. Uh-huh. All right, I guess I'm gonna dig my own grave. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really love those shots. That was something that was um, like in Dan Carlin's uh, that uh, his hardcore history episode, Painfotainment, which is like a history of human execution. Mm-hmm. I guess that was a real thing in the Middle Ages on into like uh, Victoria, Edwardian, Victorian times is that like people just meekly went to the hangsman guy. It's like you would think most people would act out. But like there is so much like uh, civil expectation that like well you stole you did and you know very few people were pro i guess wrong you know it's like there's like well i guess this is you know they 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 give speeches about how people should learn from their example and it's just like crazy shit like how <laughs> right but i mean i don't know there's also a genuine belief in an afterlife um Fair. a lot more so yeah. than i think today that it's like well you know maybe i can if, I, if i'm not a complete asshole on the way out maybe they'll look the other way but sure I thought the exact same thing when I saw those guys digging those holes. Like, where's the stinking badges now, man? Where's uh-huh. the piss and vinegar now? Yeah, wild. Uh, I, I don't know, but in my mind, he would have been totally justified. And I know we're jumping way ahead in this movie, but totally justified in shooting Dobbs to death 
given that he knows as soon as he falls asleep, he's a dead man. He's going to murder him. And there's no way to get back to town and end this situation before he falls asleep. Yeah, and he was... Uh, Kurt was going to murder Cody like he voted to do it, um, uh-huh. you know, rather than split him in. So it's like, why? But I don't know. It's like this guy, like, I, I think honor counted for a lot for him. And this guy did stake him and he used to be a decent guy. Like the gold got him all twisted up. Like the old mm-hmm. guy said, you can't hardly even blame him. Like if I was younger, I might have tried it. One hundred thirty thousand dollars. I mean, this is a yeah. I don't even know what it is in in modern times. It must be in the tens of millions of dollars, if, if not hundreds. But like, yeah, um, I, 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 I thought that was weird, too, that he didn't do something. Tie him up, mm-hmm. try to knock him out, um, make him, you know, take all of his bullets and just be like, get get you go down this lane. I'm going to go. But like, yeah, the, the thing is, is he's so paranoid. I, I thought that was a great scene where. Curtin was trying to say, well, why don't you, why don't we just split up and, you know, you can go first. Oh, so you can sneak up behind the trail. It's like, fuck it. I'll go first. Oh, so you can lay in. There's nothing that you could do or say. Yeah. Even though, yeah, that's the other thing. It's like the Gila monster scene. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool because I thought that was where like, okay, they're, they're, they're baiting that Humphrey Bogart's going to be the one that can't handle the gold, but this is going to be his call to senses. But there was nothing, no test, nothing that ever satisfied him that these guys, even though he was the one that's always like, what if what if you guys decide to rob us? And he was always the one talking about how are we going to trust each other? Ah, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like this movie, this movie is not perfect. Um, I really enjoyed it, but I think it's clunky in some places. And I get a sense of whiplash with Dobbs uh, because there are scenes where he he has wake up calls uh, and he heeds them. And then he goes right back to his gold seduced uh, paranoia, I guess. Mm -hmm. And the scene that really struck me as being sort of out of character is when they have the run in with the bandits, they're like, all right, we got enough money. The wells like, or the mine is kind of running dry ish. Mm-hmm. Let's just pull up stakes and get out of here. And Dobbs is like, yep, let's do it. Let's get out of here. And you know what? I'll stay behind and help you send off this mine, uh, help you take it down because I respect the earth. And he does all that and he goes yeah. through with it. And he's like a changed man in that moment and a satisfied man in that moment. And then it, it comes back around. And I, I guess I wish that scene wasn't in there. I guess I wish the other guys were pushing for it and he was reluctantly agreeing, but he is, he is all in on getting the hell out of there. It almost seems like he could get his equilibrium and then something would happen and it would work on his paranoia. Like the natives coming to adopt the doctor, you know, they want to go adopt the doctor and and feast him. And it's Uh like, suddenly he's suspicious. You guys, you were gone with these people for a day and like, and, and now, you know, like he's the one saying, like, how do you going to trust us with her? And I it's like he's walking down the mountain and this old man who has been doing like what apparently is the lion's share of the work, or at least he knows all the tricks to make it as easy as he can. They're mm-hmm. like struggling with his extra donkeys. And that just like works on him like a, a rock in the shoe. Yeah. You know, like he could be cool. But then like he gets up and someone's gone, use the bathroom in the middle of the night. You must have been hunting for my treasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he gets hung up on like any minor disparity between in the sort of equal share of the work or the the goods right like yeah he the the staking thing 
that happens early on you knew was going to be a problem as soon as like he holds out his hand and says yeah 50 bucks 50 pesos whatever that's water under the bridge my friend that's more than yeah a, that's a tiny price to pay for all the money we're going to pull out right and you know that's coming back later in the movie and of course it does that's one of those rocks in his shoe that eats away at him uh that gets resolved but then you get yeah other other little things that, that mm-hmm. yeah when when he's got uh his his mind on the gold he just becomes rotten and he's like you know you, you've heard the phrase a hit dogs holler nope <laughs> you know like if what? uh uh I, it's it's a phrase that's like if someone says something like you know me, like if you hear a woman in public remark that men are the worst if you're not an exceptionally bad man, like I never, uh, you're, you're like, okay, oh well, yeah, fucking, she's got a bad experience with the men. But maybe if you are a little bit guilty about how you treat women, you might be like, well, not fucking all men. That kind of like, mm. that dog was hit. Mm. If you weren't hit, you wouldn't holler. You're hollering because you're hit. When he calls, like, gotcha. when he says something, you know, they're debating about whether they should cut and run at 25000 a piece or they should just work this mine for all they got. And both the other guys are like, yeah, this is more money than we ever expected. Let's, and Humphrey Bogart wants to stay. And Curtin calls, you know, says, well, let's let not be hogs. He's not even saying that you're being, he's just like, they're talking it out and fucking Bogart got all up in his feelings about that. Pull the gun on him. Yeah. Uh, threatened, threatened to take his, you know, the, like it suddenly turns into a capitalist and it's like, I put up all the stake. And so the guy goes like, okay, here's your gold. Here's there. I just bought you back out. And he pours it out. And he's like, I just don't want to be called a hog. It's all, but he is being consumed by greed. And that's why he's so, yes. that's why he felt so called out in that discussion. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, the, the, arbitrary number of like 25,000 is what we're going to take out is insane. That is a crazy way to define goals is right. just a hard number. What you do is you wait, you keep mining until the mine stops giving you the amount of gold that you're satisfied with. And then you call it, you pull up stakes and you go right. Like wh- why would you set an arbitrary number? Um, I, well, the, the thing Let is, what I thought was when to stop. Well, but there's there's other to me that I thought there's other external forces, too. It's like every day you're there, you can get out more gold. But there's also being discovered by the federales because you're running an illegal mining operation. Sure. Or you could be discovered by a company prospector that's going to go and then buy this land legit and kick you off. Or worst of all, the bandits, the banditos could come and take you for all your gunpowder bullets and guns and gotcha. So it's like. There sure, is, sure. It, it's like one of those push your luck dice games where it's like, yeah, the more you roll, the better it until you crap out and lose everything. Yeah. Well, they should have left after the bandit uh, stuff. They, I guess they tried to, but they got caught on the No, they back. still, they, they, but they also still worked. I mean, they should have yeah, left as soon as the bandits, but and, but they didn't. They kept on, they kept on fucking going. Yeah. I thought the federales got him, I guess. Um I don't know. Mm, there are, that's there true. are better ways to handle this, although I don't know the banking situation in Mexico at the time. <laughs> it's probably not great. I'm thinking like, okay, what do you what do you do? Do you take the gold back on a weekly basis or something? Everything you find and cash it in and then store your money where? No, nah, man, they had the Chase app and they just took a picture of the pile of gold <laughs> and it automatically calculated and put it into their. Yeah, it was like, uh, <laughs> I don't know why they're trying to get to Durango. To just, like throw the gold into the wind. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. But the, the mountain the mountain takes what it, what it wants back. 
uh yeah because that's the that's the other thing is like like these men are in tampico and they have nothing their name they're fearless you know they're getting starts and fights whatever they don't care but like when you've got twenty five thousand dollars and you're in the middle of the wilderness Mm -hmm. you are amongst the most vulnerable organisms on this planet because like all the things sure right because like they're like that's what's made clear is that you only have what you can protect in this or you can hide Mm -hmm. and otherwise defend because if you go to the authorities you're more likely to just have your fortune taken from you anyway because you're being a bandit you are illegally uh-huh. mining on f- probably federal land or whatever like you, you're not paying for any any uh but the, the also it's a fuck you game because if you did like the old man explains if you, we did the proper paperwork and did everything right uh some other larger company will see that we're successful and mm-hmm. will buy us out and kick us off when we've only got 10 percent of the claim and that's probably right i mean i saw there will be blood it doesn't seem sure. like the big boys played fair uh so what what was it was it pale rider is that the clint eastwood yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh uh-huh uh i saw that one that one doesn't work out uh too well yeah yeah they have a claim jumpers you know like whole like there's a whole it just just you know they call it the wild west for a reason i guess Mm -hmm. um because they're they're yeah they're all the things we take for granted the protection of law and whatnot it's uh it's like almost everything outside the big towns was de facto outlawed yeah rules Sure. Makes sense. I imagine it's hard to, to guard a fortune like that in the wilderness. Yeah. And it's like, there's also some really cool things they did where right where the guys were at their throats the most. And it's, it's mostly Dobbs. When I say the guys, you got to understand mm-hmm. that like the, so the prospector was constantly trying to um, like, he's like an engineer monitoring an engine and he's trying to like move the dials and placate things just like god i gotta keep this thing from blowing for just a couple more days a couple more days and the young kid is like you know feels obligated to bogart because he staked him out this other stuff um but like they're at the at the scene where they're the most at each other's throats the new guy uh cody comes in and they're all about to kill him and there's nothing as unifying as a common external threat. Sure. And I thought that was so interesting, like how they moved. They, they instantly moved as one. These four men when the banditos came because, you know, they can't trust each other. Certainly can't trust this Cody guy, but we trust him a damn sight more than these banditos that have already tried to kill us once in this movie. I thought that was an interesting little kind of human portrait that they painted. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the the what the enemy of my enemy is my friend so the friend of my enemy is my enemy is that how that yeah, works i don't know i guess so but it's like it lasted exactly as long as the bullets last uh, uh right. flew right oh, well and then the guy was dead but you know that's yeah story. and then there was that whole that whole I, scene where they find out that he had a wife that's yeah. like oh please please let this be your last expedition me and timmy cry for you to come home every night and you've got your real treasure here and this, that, and the other, and everybody but Bogart feels bad for him. Yeah. I mean, he probably saw that it was a little melodramatic, but ultimately pretty effective. Uh, but it's like, it's good. only melodramatic if he carried that letter forged for the express purpose of making someone feel guilty for killing him. Otherwise, well, I mean, it's her, just the his wife begging. The used was just like yeah. over the top. Oh, the fruit harvest and... The, yeah, mm. all, all that stuff. Anyway, uh, 
yeah i i don't know what possessed them to try and kill this guy it's it's wild you could have a fourth man here helping you do a bunch of backbreaking work he doesn't want a cut of what you already taken that's which is a fortune dude. yeah the, the, why the, not let him in on it why not I, I mean, so the argument that like well are we gonna let every other claim jumper there i mean shit they're claim jumpers but are we gonna let every other person right. who wanders into our camp also join in i don't see why not yeah really, like you've unless, already got the lion's share but then i guess it's one from humphrey bogart's perspective is one other person you got to keep your eye on you know because yeah he's going to help for the back breaking but there's another opportunity for them to just cut and run when they're making a run to the village or doing this that and the other i don't know why uh curtain votes to kill him that's what i don't understand is i don't like a decent guy who is very reluctant to kill will find any reason not to to the point where he's willing to risk his own death by falling asleep just so he doesn't have to kill this other guy yeah. Why does he vote in that moment? That's, that's what I mean. It's a little bit clunky with a lot of its motivations and stuff. And I, I have kind of a big problem at the end of this movie with the way it resolves. Well, before we, I want to, I want to, I want to examine this, this yeah. Cody business a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the movie's script and it's, it's probably credit to the book is genius because they put, they made Cody just pushy enough that he seemed sinister. Uh huh. So it's like there was this veneer of, oh, we're just friendly and we're American and your fellow Americans and we're this Anybody and that and the other. But you like back to your camp in the dead of night similar, and then yeah. says, no matter what you do, I'm digging here tomorrow and uh-huh. we can be partners or we can be and like that. A guy that's that confrontational and that presumptuous that 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 early on in the proceedings. I think that's what swine that what 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 swayed curtain because you're right otherwise it doesn't make sense and also curtain i just feel felt like he owed a lot to dobbs and but the thing is is i don't understand why dobbs didn't feel that way about these men Uh curtain literally saved his life and you could see the hesitation he thought about i'm just gonna leave this guy to die it's an accident but he's like nah i can't do that he's my friend he's been blah 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 the old man you know as single-handedly kept these guys alive for the first half of the operation kept them from from fucking dying uh mm-hmm. or going back in, in shame and defeat um well, but he felt gold, no man. loyalty at ever uh, at that's all the gold the gold got yeah. them all twisted up yeah i mean that's the best part of the movie honestly is that that message i think this movie is more than just greed makes men evil I think there's more to it than that. I think there's a, like in some way a message of like, hey, the pursuit of wealth in and of itself is both a time waster it is both a huge waste for the person pursuing it, but also for the people who pursue it, who will never have a chance at it even because like, there's something early on that the prospector says where he says like the gold has value because of the labor that people put in searching for it. There, there are 999 men out there for every single one who finds gold that will never find gold. And that it's so valuable because of all that labor that went into finding it for that one person. Yeah. And to me, that says something like when it blows away in the end and they just laugh hysterically about the big joke that the last 10 months of backbreaking labor and risks to their lives has all been an actual death. Yeah, for some of them, sure. Uh, then I, I get this impression that the movie is trying to tell me 
this is all a huge waste of, of human effort in pursuit of something that is only valuable because of the effort put into it, right? Right. Well, so I, God, I found this article that asserted that some of the Jack Houston intended some of that, especially that is to be a critique of Marx's labor theory of value. Oh, okay. I don't know um, anything about that. At, well, that's the thing. It's like I got like 15, 20 minutes into reading it. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to understand this well enough to, and, and no one will care anyway. But like, yeah, yeah the um, idea that like uh, that that this thing is worth it not because everyone collectively makes things a little bit better. I think that's the Marx theory about the, the labor is that the 99% of everything is is, you know, like dirt's not worth anything unless someone mines it puts it in a thing refines it sells it on the market like you, you it has human labor has to happen before something is worth anything except for maybe real estate um this is kind of a critique of that because instead of like incrementally you have a, a nine, 999 people working in futility so one person can yes. actually find yes. the thing and their work is fruitful um right and do I, they split it with the 999 who toiled no of yeah not. yeah because they're, like, the, look, they're the lottery winners <laughs> right and i like like, look, I, I'm not I, I, you know, I don't I did the Marxist stuff. It's uh, it, it's pretty old, probably is sure, uh, c- sure. could be probably has a lot of stuff, a lot of literature written since that improves upon it. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't I don't know if a, if a Western about claim jumping and the outlaw lands, bad lands of Mexico really has a refutation of yeah. some of the. So some all of Marxian analysis, but whatever. I don't know if that's all intended, but it, I, I was certainly drawing those ideas from this and like. Yeah. Gold is kind of the perfect, especially gold at that time. Before before monsters started putting it in their cables and selling them for $45 for a three-foot cable, uh, gold had no use beyond aesthetics and oh, like jewelry and teeth is what they keep saying. Like, you could put it in your mouth, you could put it on your at finger. At that time, yeah. Now, now uh-huh. there's lots of uses for gold in our modern Absolutely. society. Absolutely. And but, there's, but at there's that a time, reason, yeah. the pursuit of gold was all about the pursuit of wealth, and that is it. Yeah. That is it. That's yep. all it was. So, like... In my mind, it's saying the, the so much wasted human effort goes into pursuing wealth for no other reason than pursuing wealth. Yeah. And that and the idea that it is like so such a crapshoot on on who actually gets to benefit from that is just crazy. Yeah, it, it, this movie a lot also reminded me of Jesus parable of the faithless servant where you know, there's this one servant that owes his master. I don't know that th- something crazy, like a thousand talents. It's something like three and a half, four years of pay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's eating him up and he knows he can never repay it. And he goes to, to his master and says, look, man, I am way over my head. I'm never going to be able to pay this off. It's killing me. It's it's burying my family. Uh, is there anything we can do to work it out? And the master is like, you know what? It's nothing between you and me. Uh, let's just, you know, you've, you've always, you've always been good to me. Treat me right. Let's just, let's just forget the whole thing. And this, this servant goes off, uh, and runs and finds one of his, uh, the, his fellow servants that works at the house. And this guy owes him, I think, I don't know, five denarii, like five days pay. And he savagely beats the guy and has him imprisoned until mm-hmm. he can pay him back. And then the master finds out about him. Of course, he's like, the fuck is going on? I'm going to do to you that. And if the whole thing is like, if you are ever find yourself in a position to like, you know, you've experienced an evil yourself and have somehow gotten like, isn't it kind of like upon you to use that wisdom to forgive someone else? And Bogart mm-hmm. does the opposite. Like the first 30 minutes of this film, he is living in squalor poverty. He's begging. Yeah. There's this great scene where 
he soaks the same wealthy American three times for a dollar in the space of an afternoon. John Houston, by the way. Oh, is that John Houston? Uh Oh, shit. Awesome. (laughs) Um, So John, so John Houston did. So yeah, the guy's like, well, he's like, this is some fucking temerity. It's one thing for a bum to ask you, but you've asked me and, and Bogart's like, look, man, you were never more than the hands of money. I've never looked you in the face because this is a shameful thing I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, He gets fucked over by this guy who takes him off in the jungle, works him like a dog in 130 degree heat. And pulls the old, oh, my agent isn't here to meet me. I'll only go see about that. Gets screwed over there. But yet he's constantly do like, so he sees how bad it is. And they're all talking about how, like, oh, it sucks that we're getting so ill used here. But the second that he gets a little bit of leverage over anybody else, he maximizes that shit. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. why it's the, the, the people who were bullied in high school becoming bullies themselves, right? Like what's well, that's that a make? real thing. I uh-huh. don't know how many of these fucking nerds that used to get dumpstered in high school, like love the fucking bully to shit out of people for no good reason today. Yeah. It's wild to me. Um, but it's, it's, it's a great, I think study in that, like there's so many kind of like life lessons to just like not mm-hmm. be a complete shit person to learn from Humphrey Bogart in this movie. Um, but it's it's good. It's I almost at the beginning I thought, oh man, are they preloading this movie a little too much? Like when the old mm. man is in the the Mexican YMCA, the uh the black bear, and he's like, Oh, I see what gold does to men's souls. Oh, and then everybody's like, they're like Peter at the Last Supper. Hey, ain't gonna be me that, that betrays the fellowship. And he's like, Yeah, we'll just see you when a hundred thousand dollars of gold's rattling in your pockets. And I'm like, mm-hmm. But even with all that, even with that setup, I think it it still kind of works. It was still surprising how fucked up things got. Yeah, totally. And, and they preload a lot of that stuff with him gambling, right? Like you can see that he's got some some bug in his personality there, where he, despite having basically no money, I mean, the movie opens on what I think is like the the winning lottery numbers. And he Mm -hmm. tears up his ticket because he didn't win, right? He's spending the money he doesn't have to play this fucking lottery. Mm -hmm. He's clearly got that that bug, the gambling bug. And so, you know, when he hears about the fortune he could potentially make off of gold, of course he goes in for it. And of course he gets all twisted up because he's he's got a a bad relationship with that stuff. Yeah, he came down with a gold fever bad. And what Bogart does towards the end of this movie, you mentioned like the glint, his the evil glint in his eye. Um, it's it's something else. It's some mm-hmm. it's uh, some scary shit. And then that final scene where there's so much great tension that's built over the course of this. Um the two ones that really stand out in my mind are when the stranger Cody is like looking out over the banditos slowly coming up the mountain. They keep on cutting t- from the guys trying desperately to strike their camp so they can hide all trace of their existence. And these guys slowly making their way up this mountain. Um, I thought that was really cool. And the other one is at the end where Dobbs is accosted by these banditos who, you know, they tried to rob him on the train. They tried to rob him at the claim. And now they're going to rob him within a day's ride of his ultimate victory. And they don't know who he is. He knows who they are. And they don't know that he's got a bunch of gold. They just think he's a fur trapper. They just want to. And and like him trying to like walk that tightrope between 
mm-hmm. flattering these guys and appealing to their greed, but not letting too much out of the bag. So he die, and he just fucks it all up anyway. But that <laughs> is one of those things where it's like, even though this man at this point in the movie, I'd lost. He's he's a he is a pathetic wretch of a of a character. But I didn't have any pity for him. Like he's done all this shit to yeah. himself. I was still kind of gripped up and like, oh my god, is he going to talk his way out of this? I was too. And, and he I gets think maybe because I don't want the bandits to get the money either. Like, right. That's the thing. I don't want them to have the gold, and I don't want him to have the gold. And because I figured like if the they got the gold, the other two guys wouldn't. And I was really invested uh-huh. in them. At least one of them getting their their money back. Um, like to see it because they. Seem and he gets mach- he gets macheted to death. Yeah. And in the original script, and they shot it, I guess, decapitated. Yep. His head I don't comes know. off and rolls into a puddle. <laughs> John Houston, wildly optimistic, thinking that he would get that through the Motion Picture Association back in 1948, dude. You're going to full on yeah. chop someone's head off? <laughs> this is Hayes, <laughs> Hayes Code era. Has to be. It, oh, oh, it is, yeah. Um, yeah. Although I know Hayes Code was like, semi enforced yeah and i want to say you could get away with some stuff i i don't know the timing on this but there was an era when basically everybody ignored it even though it was like a code and then there was the era where it was more heavily enforced um and had a little bit of teeth in the industry i feel like post-war america had to be pretty strong this is like the happy days you know 1950s right um and the hayes code is all about like displaying morality on the screen mm-hmm. essentially mm-hmm. and and as defined by christians essentially um so yeah chopping people's heads off is not is not within the uh well i want to say it's not within the christian morality spectrum but i've read the bible <laughs> was he a heathen sure uh, sure was he having a birthday party <laughs> <laughs> was he worshiping a god other than Yahweh? Uh, right. You know, we'll, we'll have to look up the, the the execution tables to see what he actually. But um, yeah, he gets like he gets a just end, and then man, and I knew as soon as the bandits got it, like there's no because they made a point to say that this gold doesn't look like gold when it's in its this silt form. You know, you have to kind of know what it looks like, and these bandits are just and like when they see it and they're just like ripping it open and. They assume that he weighed down the pelts, you know, that they, they, they took him out as word that he's a hunter and he had all these valuable pelts and he was going to try to screw the guy over at the market. Um, and yeah. they didn't know what they had. And then they, oh man, this other thing is like this script was very tidy and it introduces a whole bunch of things that's like, it's like, oh, it's just like, a, you know, like, oh, these northerlies that come and they just like crazy uh-huh. wind that blows down from the mountains. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. It's kind of a neat effect. I can't imagine what kind of wind machine you'd need to actually do this on in camera. Uh, Mexican but co- jet engines, apparently, from their Air Force. No, no shit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Because I was like, it was convincing. Like, it wasn't uh-huh. like a tight frame. It was like big, wide areas just getting schlacked. I almost thought, like, well, maybe this was an environmental thing that they just waited for. Nope. But... Yeah, that scene of the gold literally blowing away with the wind as these guys are riding because they know like, you know, the, the sacks are all going away. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, man. And, and then I love tragic. the hysterical breakdown when they realize their fate. Right. And what a waste. What a colossal waste their effort has been. It's all you can do is laugh at a moment like that, I think. Um, or cry. Yeah, I, I just wish. OK, 
that's my biggest gripe with this movie is that turn of events where the bandits find uh Dobbs, they kill him, they take his pelts and his burrows and his boots and yeah, his pants and all that, but they don't they don't realize what they have. So this train of logic doesn't track to me. So they don't realize that they have gold. They think it's bags of sand. And yet Mm -hmm. they spend the time to break these bags open on the ground to a bag. Like every single bag is broken open so it can be scattered to the wind later. I think that is like a a bridge too far for logic for me. Because if it's if they think it's worthless, why would they spend time and effort to break open these bags? The only thing I can think of is they thought maybe they hide something in the sand like you'd hide coins or jewelry or something but then why would you that that's incompatible with what they think they're being used for well it's incompatible with them thinking that it's they're just going to like because what what are you going to do weigh it and as soon as the guy weighs it like i I need to get something out of that pelt because it's got (laughs) my valuables in it i've been yeah i've got thousands of pesos in that bag yeah it it doesn't quite track but honestly like the end of the movie is so good it doesn't matter ultimately i think like that windstorm that northern uh northern that comes up is just mm-hmm. like the perfect end to this movie it shows you just what a waste the pursuit of this wealth has been yeah and uh walter houston i mean maniacally laughing <laughs> and it goes on for because like i i i was worried because like sometimes i you know things get a little stagey in this era of hollywood and i was wondering like what it'd be like to watch two men just piss themselves laughing for 60 60 seconds but it no, I actually got caught up to where I start like, you know, at first I was just like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And the guy's gone crack cracked. But then when they I started laughing because, uh-huh. yeah, so it's, it's yeah, like the guy explains it's objectively funny. Like, I don't know if it's God or fate or the Mother Earth or what, but whoever's playing this joke, this they got a good sense of humor because. <laughs> yeah, a 10 month long joke where they had them sweating and toiling and tearing themselves apart. And I was for almost nothing? like, yeah, that's hilarious. I, and I was, and I, and as I was thinking things through, it's like, oh, this sucks for the old guy because he said this is the last expedition he's got in him, and now he's he's got nothing, and he's it's a year older with more wear and tear. But then, oh, it turns out the natives are going to take him in because he's going to be yeah. their doctor. Um, and then the young guy is the youngest guy. He's just going to, you know, take yeah. a couple hundred bucks from the the selling the equipment, the expedition, the expedition, and I, they, they implied to me that he's going to go try to romance that widow. Yeah, when old man talks about the uh, fruit harvest, I think the fruit he's harvesting is the Cody's widow. Yeah, I I think that was the implication there, which I don't know how I feel about that. That's a little (laughs) that's a little much for me, but okay. Uh, You know, if she's open to it, I guess why not? But it's true. He hasn't even seen her. He has a heart of gold. No pun intended. Right. This has been working in those minds long enough guy in the group. Yeah, he's uh, it's hard to be. It's funny because like even the old man. He's good, too, but there's something in him that like he's like, you know, who knows if I'd have been 30 years younger, I might have yeah. been doing the exact same thing because, you know, I've I've been all kind of, and who knows he might have because like he's yeah. he claims to have won and lost like four different gold fortunes and everywhere you can mine for gold. He's talking Alaska. He's talking Mexico, California, Wyoming. Like, uh, didn't even even like there's a couple foreign countries he talked about. Was he in? Maybe. I can't remember. Um, is, is, is this movie where the term fool's gold comes from? No, that's like, I guess, a really famous name for Iron Pyrite. Okay. 
Because I had always which, known it as Fool's Gold, but I had never seen this movie, obviously. So, which sure. uh, I also looked in Iron Pirate because I, you know, I had some time and I was bored today and I hadn't got to the, the Marxian labor theory of analysis <laughs> article yet. Uh-huh. But uh, apparently, Iron Pyrite has got tons of common uses in the last 20, 30 years. It's actually super oh. valuable. They're mining it for use in lipo batteries and like uh, lots of other like semiconductor type of roles. And it's got a lot of interesting products. So like, yeah, fool's gold is, is actually not worthless anymore. I don't wow. think they need to get, they need to go back to the nineties and just hit up a flea market because <laughs> holy shit, the number of people selling fool's gold. Right. Go to any children's museum. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, don't you don't need to mine it. You can just ask buy buy it. buy bags of it. Yeah, for right? ninety nine cents. I had some as a kid for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Gotta love a big old hunk of quartz for a diamond. Big old hunk of iron mm-hmm. pyrite for your gold nugget. Yep. Um, I want to talk about the old man's reputation as a doctor. Oh, yeah. This yeah. old timey CPR. This, I've mm-hmm. never I've always seen this in Looney Tunes, right? When like some like uh, Bugs Bunny drowns or Porky Pig drowns and someone grabs his arms, and they're pumping him like a water pump yep. and doing all this stuff. And this this guy, guy is just like, yeah, he's just pumping his kids arms up and down, <laughs> rubbing tequila on his gums, uh, <laughs> slapping his CPR. hands like, yeah, it's like you're you are taking advantage of these people claiming Claiming the white man's medicine healed their child. I, mm-hmm. I in fact, he might have he, he might have woken up a half hour ago if you hadn't have been slapping him and and pulling him like taffy. <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. Uh, the other thing is, you know, you always hear about pack mules and I've always wondered, like, how do you load them? This little wooden scaffold with the pegs and just you tie up the bag so they have loops at the end and you just as many of those loops you can stack on the burrow. That's how much he carries. I'm like, holy Mm -hmm. fucking cow. That's that's really clever. And I started thinking, man, you could really go for a long ass camp or through hike if you had a donkey, a mule. They're strong beasts. Yeah. Like if if you, you can go a whole week with 50 pounds on your back, you could go a month. Plus, if you had all, you know, like just just a bag of beans, beans and mm-hmm. rice, rice and beans. Yeah. Well, neat. What what do you I, I don't know. It feels like in some ways a perpetual motion machine type of thing. So, so a mule can carry not only enough food for itself to live for that long, but also for you to live that long. Apparently. And in fact, so I like, don't think I, I think the donkeys have, live off the, the land. Yeah. Do they? Do they just eat shrubs and shit? There's I don't no know way what... they're packing alfalfa up there to feed them. I, what do donkeys eat? I don't even know. They have to eat the same thing, like hay, alfalfa. Hay? Hay's for horses. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't a donkey just a horse, a short horse with long ears? Yeah. No. Pretty I sure. Think... Pretty sure that's what they what they are. Um, I think so. You they, have to... they eat coffee beans. They eat coffee beans. Right. You, you like just let Colombian them. Only though. Yeah, you let you you gotta you gotta graze them in Colombia for a couple months, and when they get all fat off the coffee coffee beans, you bring them up and you work them. <laughs> you work them in the mountains of Mexico, and then you take them back in the valleys of Colombia. Uh huh. It's a migration. The great the great donkey <laughs> migration. We'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause. And now back with more bald moves. I can't stress enough 
how much Walter Houston made this movie for me. Like I like Humphrey Bogart's acting. I was gripped up in the story, but there are moments in this movie that it desperately needs some levity. And Walter Houston is there to provide that when he is guiding them up into the mountain and they find fool's gold. And then a second later, they're like at each other's throats or something. And they don't realize that they've struck actual pay dirt. And he just starts dancing a jig and just going a mile a minute. I, I absolutely love his performance in this. I think it was Academy award worthy. Uh, Although I don't know what else was up for it that year. Who else <laughs> in the the supporting actor? But come on, this guy's so good. Yeah, he because some of that comedy stuff, this old doesn't necessarily translate. I thought all of that shit worked. And yeah, that's the other thing is like there's so much cool lingo from back in the day. Like I like this, that they're talking about mugs, you know, talking about uh, mm. uh, looking at people's ugly mug or get your mug out of my mug and all this stuff. It's like, they got so much cool lingo that we've lost. And he had some real whoppers. He had some real turns of phrase. Mm-hmm. I wish I'd written, written more of them down, but uh, it's like listening to my granddad talk, you know? Sure. Uh, he there's... was he was really good and kind of like both him and Bogart were kind of fearless in that I guess Walter Houston didn't really see he didn't consider himself as a character actor like this and didn't mm-hmm. think he could do it end up crushing it and Bogart you know a, a, a heroic leading man playing this big of a shit heel mm-hmm. seemed like it was both like pretty brave performances for the time yeah uh, really worked for me as far as the lingo goes, there's one phrase that I've never understood, never bothered to look into, and it's when somebody's toasting, a, a, when somebody's about to take a shot or something, they'll say, here's mud in your eye, yeah. down that shot, and they do that in this movie. What does here's mud in your eye mean? I, I looked you didn't look it, it up? Oh, okay, no, okay. I, I did. It's one of those things that's inconclusive. Uh, nobody can really say for sure, and of course, it's one of those things that people think originates from one of the great wars, right? Because uh, mm. they always do. It, it, it could be for like soldiers who came back from the trenches of World War One and were like, they always got covered in mud and then it just kind of evolved out of that. Um, there's also a possibility that it was from the Bible, like had a biblical note to it because mm. Jesus famously healed a blind man by putting mud on his eyes. Oh, right. Uh, it, and so that might be like a, a best wishes kind of thing um, or to good health, to, to good fortune, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Hey, Jesus rub mud in your eye. Yeah, yeah. I, I could see that a lot more than I could see the trenches because, man, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to put that together. Yeah. Uh, it, it could just be some fatalistic, you know, gallows humor thing that soldiers were doing after here's mud in your eye. I, I don't know, but True. both of those are possible. None of them are confirmed. So hmm. take that for what it's worth. The other thing that struck me uh, about some of the things that the prospector said is when they're going up the mountain, he's talking about. It's when they find the fool's gold. He's like, well, next time you guys think you struck pay dirt how about you don't you call me before you waste a bunch of water because sometimes water is more precious than gold and Mm. to me that is part and parcel with the rest of the message of this movie which is like water is a life-giving substance that you absolutely need gold is superfluous in every way to human existence so 
yeah, the idea that, hey, we might want to hang on to the water and not worry so much about the the wealth, That's that strikes a, a real chord with me right now. Yeah, especially since um, it's also reinforced in the end of the movie because like when Bogart's stumbling down from the mountains, he runs out of water because he's not being yeah. careful with it or, you know, uh, he doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe he got lost and turned around a couple of times and like everything that the old man said, he's done the opposite of in terms mm-hmm. of being trustworthy, in terms of you know honoring agreements, in terms of even taking care of your water in the desert. And it all like I got the idea that Bogart, even if he hadn't run into the bandits, would have died. He might die from Possibly. dysentery if 12 hours later from drinking out of that muddy <laughs> yeah. puddle, you know, That's exactly like, what I was thinking. Yeah. Like, I just think that he you need, you know, you need to it, you, you can't do it alone unless you're Daniel Plainclothes. <laughs> sure. Daniel Plainclothes, <laughs> the famous oil man. Uh, what is his way? What is his name? <laughs> it's Plainclothes. Plainclothes. Sure. Is it? Is it Plainview? <laughs> yes. Oh shit. Daniel Plain Clothes, you know? Undercover detective, Daniel Plain Clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was undercover Pinkerton the whole time. The whole time. The oil man stuff was just a front. Oh God. Oh God. Thank you for that one, Brain. That's a good one. Uh <laughs> do you have anything else? No, that's it. Uh cause speaking of things that don't aren't what they appear to be, uh this guy, B. Traven, I'm just going to B. Traven, B. Period Traven, uh, wrote a lot of highly regarded Westerns. Uh, the Treasure Sierra Madra obviously adapted into a film. No one knows who this guy is. Wait, it's like, like Jack the Ripper. It's like it's like, yeah, or Banksy. Yeah, maybe that's better than the guy who killed a bunch of people. It's <laughs> sure. the other artist the that art, famously yeah. or like Daft Punk or, you know, it's like no one. And, and, and maybe it's not even as good because I, I think everyone's got that stuff solved. I think didn't mm. Daft Punk just like come out and admit it a couple years ago who they were. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, but there's this guy. He he wrote all this stuff. Like the only thing people know for sure is he spent like a decade of at least a decade of his life living in Mexico which is where he got loaded up for all these different stories and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But like uh, when John Houston and the studio executives met the option, he sent this lawyer who claimed to never have met the guy himself and was there to represent his interests, and negotiate on his behalf. Um, there's no known photograph of him taken. Uh, I don't think there's any known street address. There's a couple of theories of who he could have been. And the really tantalizing detail is, I guess, some nondescript guy who claimed to be a representative of B. Traven showed up on set and observed most of the filming. And John Houston's private conviction is that was the real B. Traven just there to make sure they're not fucking around with his his legacy. Sure. What a nut. What a nut. He's I, like a secret agent, man. I want to try this experiment with podcasting now. I, I want to. Can we write a podcast that we pay somebody else to record and produce who never meets us? And then we could be what proxy? No, we could ghost cast. I think this was like you, you're like 13 years too late thinking of this for yourself. You could have been the, the, the Jay Jones, yeah. but we can start a yeah. whole other outfit that is just us ghost casting. Yeah, and you get you get the you get the B Traven of podcasting successful uh-huh. enough that the Jay Jones can just step out of the picture and sure. 
It's secretly you through vocoder. <laughs> Fake your own death, right? <laughs> right. Uh, Retire to Belize. Uh, sure, sure. it worked for this guy. That's wild. Um, That's wild. I thought that was an amazing story. And the other thing that was amazing is, so they got the, they, they secured the rights to the film in Tampico, Mexico. It's a beautiful city and it's all on location. And they really showed off in this movie, the beginning of this movie. But like a week into it, uh, the police came and like shuttered them and threw them out of the country. Mm-hmm. And John Houston's like, you know, getting through his Mexican contacts. It's like, oh, well, didn't you know that it's customary that anything that goes on in this town, you got to bribe the mayor to make it happen. And, and I guess John newspaper Houston, people. That, yeah, that's right. That's right. It, it was a news. It was the newspaper man who apparently controlled Tampico, Mexico. And John Houston put out through some of his like, you know, uh, high profile contacts and feelers and appealed directly to the president of Mexico. Because uh, I guess they said it was it was they're thrown out of the pretext that they were slandering Mexico, which, again, other than the uh, casual racism shown to the natives, I thought this wasn't a a positive nor negative depiction of Mexico or its people. I guess it's a it's 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 a, it's a law. They kind of portrayed the mountains as a lawless place, but that was half of America at the time, too. Right. Um, it's the mountains. Come on. So they got all that cleared up and the president of Mexico is like, OK, I get it. You guys can come on back. And a week after he gave permission, this newspaper editor was found murdered. Mm-hmm. And I want to know, did the Mexican government murder this guy or did Hollywood? Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, I could see Warner Brothers doing it, is all I'm saying. Yeah, Jack Warner seemed like a real uh, a real something during this movie. He was very concerned with the money they were spending. But to be fair, they went way over budget. Um, yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, go film it on location. And then he starts getting the receipts. How much does it fucking cost? How much tequila is, bu- is, is Humphrey drinking down there? <laughs> right. Get these boys back. You can finish it in the back lot. God damn it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. I could see something like that. Yeah, some some dirty business happening there. Uh, uh, one other thing, and, and yeah. I've given people all podcasts to write in about this, and and mm-hmm. someone probably <laughs> has by now. But if you have not already written in, and you're you got your fingers on the typewriter, yeah, because that's what you use to write into us. You can mail it to our baldmove.com slash about. Uh, you slandered Tim Holt earlier in this podcast you said tim holt a guy who's never done anything not famous at all oh no basically only did this movie he is a very popular western star in that era he did 46 western films 46 and a lot of them were very popular so i don't want to like disparage the guy who had a, a very long and fruitful career all right, I'll take your word for it. Um, I don't know that, like, because that's the this is like, yeah, I guess he did a couple John Ford stuff too. Now that I'm looking into the deep part of the the wiki, but nothing that got a not like I said, this is his most famous role. But I I misspoke. I, I I'm sorry, I blackguarded your name, Tim Holt. It was uncalled for. I yeah. could should have done three more minutes of reading on your Wikipedia page. Anything else? Any other corrections we should issue? No. All right. Uh, we will be back next week. I uh, hope you've enjoyed our 75th anniversary edition of the Sierra Nevada 
<laughs> God damn it. The, le- the legend of the Sierra Nevada, the, the, the treasure of the Sierra Madre. Starring Daniel Plainclothes. Starring Daniel Plainclothes uh, <laughs> as a Pinkerton detective on the, on the trail of Humphrey Bogon. Uh, we are going to come back next week with the John Travolta classic Saturday Night Fever. Gene Siskel's yeah. favorite movie of all time. What? Yeah, all right, sure. Yeah. Legendarily, his va- favorite movie. That's I can't Siskel. wait to. I, I can't it. wait to check it out. I, I saw it way back when when because yeah. I just a lot of movies that like I, I, I need to go back and rewatch because I saw it as a young man. and like, oh, it's kind of boring or oh, this is kind of cringe or oh, this is kind of 270s. I'm 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 hoping that I get uh, a lot more out of it because, like I said, I, I it wouldn't be anywhere near my favorite film. So what's right. up, Gene? We'll find out next week. Uh, until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See ya.